Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 12, Super Bowl reaction time. Big Chillians, welcome to the day after episode of the Super Bowl. Eddie looks happy. You know what? Actually, I'm happy with the level of energy you're bringing because that's also more reflective of the energy you had before we started recording. So I think it is actually a fair reflection probably on your mood. I, on the other hand, I'm riding a high because I did manage to correctly predict the outcome of the Super Bowl. I enjoyed watching the Fork Brigade get their comeuppance. I enjoyed mounting one of the most historic comebacks of picks leagues of all time. Uh, you know, I want once again, Sam the Squid fell off a cliff, didn't manage to get a single prediction right once the NCAA, the championship games rolled around just over three in championship games in the Super Bowl. And yeah, I'm, I've got my crown. I've got my Super Bowl ring. Tom Brady FaceTimed me after the game, thanked me for having faith in him. And here we are. It's been nasty, though. All the championship and Super Bowl games were three points. <laughs> like well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think the three points really mattered <laughs> <laughs> yeah only just edged out against the spread no i like look it, it's not like you had you didn't get anything crazily wrong it's not like you had total confidence in a 21 point favorite and they lost or that you were picking huge underdogs but some of us picked all of them right and some of us picked none of them right and that's just the way the cookie yeah. crumbles i guess all we've learned about me this season is back Sam week one to three in the regular season and then in the wild card and divisionals. Like the, the I think everything else ignore me. We've learned pick to back your picks for the f- opening 40% of any sequence, like 40% of the playoffs, 40% of the regular season. I don't think You're, he lasted that long in the regular season. Nearly. He was done after like week four. <laughs> nearly. And and in the NBA playoffs, he he had like one wrong through two rounds. Like it's it's about a 40% tipping point and then and then it's it's off a it's off a cliff. It's just just sound of squid gets fatigue, squid fatigue. It's a very common problem in the nautical world, squid fatigue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so many trying to push all those tentacles around after a while, just get tired. You know, you, 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 you over squirted your ink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's been known to over-squirt. It's one of those things Sam's known for. It's just a weird word to bring up on a podcast squirt. But <laughs> did you all um did you all enjoy the weekend? Yeah. The I weekend? Did. I mean the, the weekend oh, or oh, the weekend. The weekend or the weekend? The weekend on the weekend. <laughs> um I thought I feel a little bit sorry for him. So I would give it like a D as far as Super Bowl halftime shows go. Not great. That being said, I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass because I think some of that was because of the situation in which he was performing. So to me, it felt less like a halftime show and more like a made for TV concert. And like traditionally, you're used to basically seeing someone like in an arena playing to the crowd, but obviously knowing that it's going out to millions over the TV. Whereas this was clearly done for the TV because there's only like 17,000 people in in attendance or whatever. And so 
my I didn't think it was great. I think basically the only part I enjoyed was blinding lights or whatever, which is the yeah. end of it. And <laughs> two and a half minutes and that was the only bit where i was like this feels like a halftime show and it's over do you feel like you're getting older because this is going to happen more and more as we age we're going to know less and less songs from certain artists no i mean i i knew every one of those songs for sure like i've heard all those songs a million times but it was just it really wasn't very well put together and then that part when they were in the when you had the handheld camera that maybe was me getting old, but I was starting to get a little dizzy as he just kept like twirling around like all these mirrors and lights. So I was like, all right, enough's enough. I'm, I mean, I commented, I had a decent amount to drink last night, but I commented to the people I was with, I was really happy that we weren't out in a bar and I was really going at it because if that section had come on when I just downed a couple of halftime shots, <laughs> I might've been quickly exiting for the, like heading for the door. So um, yeah, I just thought it was, Maybe he isn't, I also said this, like last year you had J-Lo and Shakira and their combined hits, when they have to narrow it down to like six songs, you're talking about six all-time hits, right? Like, whereas The weekend, you were maybe, obviously Blinding Lights, huge biggest song of last year, the like I Can't Feel My Face song or whatever that is, that's been huge for 10 years or however long. And then everything else is like a medium hit. So you do feel a little bit like it's kind of underwhelming in terms of the songs you're hearing, even if you know them and recognize them. Yeah. Did you see, because everyone was wearing those masks, weren't they? And I, I remember someone commenting that they've never seen so many people in the, in the pandemic in Florida wear so many masks. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. But it was to do with like Hollywood, wasn't it? It was some sort of like, you know, all these Hollywood stars getting like plastic surgery and trying to get validation through changing who they look like. That's what it was all he, about. He's been doing this for a while. It's been like an ongoing commentary he's had, but I just really don't fully grasp the commentary one. And I don't get why it's so important that this has to be like a multi-month demonstration. Like if he had did it at the, I think I forget what award it was. Maybe it was the Grammys. He showed up. Grammys, thing, yeah. like, oh, Okay, that's fine. Like that's one time you're making a statement, but now it's been months and he's still doing yeah. it. And I don't really get the point. Well, it's not catching on. Well, I, I mean, yeah, let, like it's not like. And, and what and is is that really the pressing issue of our times right now? Is a commentary on on rich, famous people getting plastic surgery? I think there's a little bigger picture things to be worrying about than that. Well, I think it's more than just people getting plastic surgery, right? It's a reflection of like the superficial nature of the music industry, I think is what he's really getting at. But you also had to, it played into the idea. I'm, I'm sure all of those dancers might've had to wear, uh, to wear masks anyway. So like being able to put them in a costume that fit his theme that also allowed them to be masked was like the perfect outcome. So the one thing I will say, right, we're talking about a guy who dated Bella Hadid. So the idea that he's in any way like trying to take on the idea of uh, sort of obsession with beauty in, in the like in fame, the music industry and anything else is a little bit hypocritical. Not that he's not allowed to date attractive women, but still. It's but maybe like, maybe that's what caused him to have this commentary. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, I thought it would look, I thought it was fine. I'm not like a soup. I'm not like in love with Super Bowl halftime shows anyway, but 
it definitely was one of the worst I've seen. I did meet the weekend. Well, How was he? Yeah. Plastic? Was it at a like a a clinic for plastic surgery? Madam no, Tussauds? it was actually really early on when he when he started to become famous because he's from Toronto, and he was the where I lived. There was a recording studio right across the street, like a very small private one that people would come in and do maybe like a song off of their album. It was just kind of like a like it was nice to have this uh, recording studio on your album. And he was in doing one and he like popped out to take a phone call and I was walking the dog and beans like ran towards him. And then like, of course, like I wasn't really paying attention. And then I looked up and it, you know, you could tell cause his hair at the time was like that real um, like defining haircut he had with like, I don't the know. The pineapple thing. It. Yeah. 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 I was like, Oh shit. That's, that's uh that's the weekend. <laughs> I'll also say this, and maybe you can speak to this as you see them in person, but as someone with a very big head, that guy's got a monster head. Like that is the one thing that came out of this. I was like, look, I'm from one big headed guy to another respect. Cause that is, that is one noggin he's got on top of those shoulders. Well, he's really small. I think he's like five, six or five, seven or something like that. He was really short. That's what I remember. It's not so maybe that's why he has the pineapple on his head. It's not that short. All right, Sam. <laughs> well, Sam is pretty short. <laughs> It's under five eleven and a half, and I feel short. <laughs> Wait, five, no, five, isn't ten. like five eight average? So I'm basically whatever, whatever I'm Dan average. Abrahamson is, that's average. <laughs> <laughs> and that's no slight on him for being average. It was just yeah, one day in school we found out he is like average in like almost every statistical category. <laughs> it was really funny. Now, speaking about enjoying the weekend, though, I will say to take it to the larger weekend and not just the musical artist, my Super Bowl experience included the visit of Silas, who's been mentioned several times over the course of this podcast. And because everyone had to come over before our curfew came into play, so six o'clock and then the Super Bowl doesn't kick off here till 1230. Like that was a decent amount of time. We got food and stuff, but we had to do some activities. So we played Articulate, the board game, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's like you get a, a word and you have to get the other people on your team to guess the word without saying the word. You know, it's like standard board game concept. And at one moment he, he gets, he gets his word and he goes, it's uh, it's like I, when I close my eyes in a sexy way. And so everyone goes Wink. winking. <laughs> and he was like, no, not winking. Another when I close my eyes in a sexy way and it's like winking and like, no, when I close my eyes in a sexy way. And then he was like, I don't know the answer blinking. And I was like, do you know what blinking is? So it's just like what you just do all the time. He's like, I know what blinking is. And so it's like, wait, you think blinking is like sexy. And so now I've got this whole new image of Vasilis like in a bar just thinking like, look at that girl over there. She just keeps blinking at me. She cannot take her <laughs> eyes off of me. She just wants me so badly. <laughs> that could explain a lot of his um, yes. advancements towards women. Yes. <laughs> some false. stories, some yeah. stories could have been explained through that board game. Now I will say, I actually received a phone call from said party around start of the third quarter. And one of the other, I guess, Babs was the other person that was there. Did ba was, his, was that his plus one? Was that Vasilis's plus one? Was Babs? So I had Babs, Vasilis, uh, our friend George, 
um, my colleague Adrian and uh, Vasilis brought a plus one. Wow, you guys are really following the uh, protocols here. Yeah. I mean, that's actually adhering to our protocols. We and we respected the curfew um, and reasonable social distancing. Well, what, I you got just all phone... like lent against like respective walls to just try and stay yeah. away from each other. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I got a phone call and Babs got on the line and wish me a happy new year one week into february <laughs> when he turned up he wished me a happy new year so he so was that, consistent. That, beg, that begs the question how yes. long into a year how long can you say happy new year i think because i guess there is a logic that you're allowed to say it if you've never if you haven't seen that person or spoken to them in that year but i would say anything past january is just no even yeah, like I think end, end of, of January. January is end of once it turns over to February, I think it's over. Like you, could, you, yeah. you can't be saying in June, like, hey, I haven't seen you. Happy New Year. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could say, how's it been? Haven't seen you in a year. Yeah. Haven't, haven't seen, seen you this, this year. year. How's it been going? That's fine. Yeah. That'll and then work. maybe you could jokingly throw in Happy New Year, by the way. But yeah, to have it just be the lead off, like Happy New Year. That's a it's a little tough. That's funny. So the other thing, I guess, before we get into the game would be the commercials. But unfortunately, you guys can't see the commercials. Um, so I guess we got something better. There's than, not much. Frank, to, we got something better. To than, talk about. We got something better than the commercials. Because while you were busy What'd watching stupid Super Bowl commercials, we got to see Kirk Cousins in his house. Wow. In a Kirk suit Cousins. in front of his wedding photos with Kirk's keys to the game. And just breaking, breaking it down, talking about Tom Brady, pretty good arm strength for a 43-year-old. More mobile than you think he is. Yeah, what was, what was number one? Competitiveness. Yeah. He's very good. competitive, apparently. I, I didn't well, know that. That was insight. That, that was pure insight for me. Yeah, he made, that, he made that very clear over the course of the game. But yeah. no, he, I, actually, I actually thought Kirk Cousins was pretty good, I have to say, like, he clearly has the makings of someone who could be on TV in the future. Um, but does but... he need to currently be on TV? He has one of the highest contracts in the NFL. Can he just relax a little? I guess. But you know what? If I were his agent, I might be saying like, if you want to go into the media afterwards, you're famous, but you're not like that upper echelon of quarterbacks. And so there aren't that many spots, so maybe it's worth trying to prove yourself now, so that hone right your skills retire, in the minor leagues. <laughs> well, that's so right when you retire, someone offers you a job, and then you're in, and then you can get there. But like when you consider that, like Phil Rivers is supposedly going into it, and then you know you who else is going to retire between now and then? Who might do it? Like Roger Breeze, right? Like those spots are going to get eaten up pretty fast. Yeah, I wish I had. Kirk Cousins, that would have been nice. We actually, it was it was an interesting selection of people on Sky. You are Cliff Averill's been doing it all year long, so he they had him in stadium. That's a weird one too. Yeah, and then they had Dallas Clark. Dallas Clark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like okay. in stadium, in stadium for Sky was Dallas Clark and Cliff Averill. I mean, and, that's to me that they're no offense to either of them, but they are. So insignificant in the grand scheme of NFL that if they were at a game, 
and I was also there and I saw them on the sidelines, there's no way I would recognize who they are. Well, I'll say this. Cliff Averill said about as much as you did on the Sky broadcast. Very quiet. Dallas <laughs> Clark, on the other hand, was loving life. Like that guy had got, I think he lives, I think they made fun of him because I think he lives in Iowa now. And he was clearly enjoying being back doing something. It came across like he was very, very happy. He did have a bit of like a weird stare, though, like almost some, someone said to him, like, when you're on camera, you just have to smile. And he almost took it too far. So he almost <laughs> did that kind of like the, the teeth weren't together kind of smile. Like, a, yeah, it was a really yeah, strange one. The best moment, though, was when Kirk Cousins, there was he obviously didn't realize he was on camera at one moment. And he like bent over to like get a drink or like pick up some notes or something. And he had to do this. Like he like looked up and realized that he was still on the screen and then just like had to try and flip back into presenter mode. That was quite enjoyable. Yeah, well, you missed a very average slate of commercials as they always are. I don't kind of understand, like, I don't know the last year that I would say the commercials were great. They're always just the same. And you have one or two that are kind of funny and then one or two that are not as funny as you think they are, but because they're surrounded by all these shitty commercials, they seem really funny. Like there was a classic Will Ferrell one that seemed a lot funnier than it probably was just because the other commercials around them were, were not very good. But um, there was a pretty shitty Jeep commercial um, oh, there was a great Robin Hood commercial. Robin, Robin Hood, Hood the app. Yes, Robin Hood the, the app. The controversial trading like, app. Yeah, As opposed to the mythical tale of an English archer. <laughs> yes, Robin Hood the app had a commercial that said something along the lines of like, an investment platform for all the people or something like that. Like, really, come on. That's insane. <laughs> so they actually bought the time to almost try and get their reputation back. In fairness, they must have already bought it and prepared that ad. Like, because that was two weeks before the Super Bowl. There's no way you're deciding to splash out yeah. five and a half million dollars and put together a commercial in two weeks. And those slots will have already been sold. So yeah. I'm sure they had internal conversations of like, do we have to change this now? But that's the message. That's like their motto, right? It's like it the was, it was their app. So, yeah, the tagline they had for it was, we are all investors. That was it. Yeah, democratizing investments, yeah. isn't it? So, what was the pick for you then, Frank? Like, the I didn't best see one. Him. Can't say my way. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. None of them really stood out as good. There was a terrible Chipotle one. It was so stupid. It was all about like their sustainable agriculture and like their farm-to-table philosophy. Oh, just to it was you're... so bad. Just as obviously with Chipotle and being famous with like E. coli and uh, not doing well with people's stomachs, had a ton of beer for last night. I mean, I've still got a ton of beer left. I had enough beer for a full-on party in the end. Um, Said you only had 15 but, people. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in the fridge, there was uh, a bottle of uh, kombucha that was still fermenting. And it was fermenting in like an old style beer bottle, like a Grolsch, you know, the lids that like you, you click down one of those the ones, like, yeah, the snap I, I downs, called. you know, yep, where you got the downs, two yep. metal things and you like thumb it down. So it was fermenting in there. And my colleague, Adrian, 
at one moment obviously went to pour himself a beer saw that and was like i'm gonna give this a go to see like this beer looks interesting this like weird grulch so he poured it for himself and drank the entire bottle and it was only this morning and i was like uh adrian did you drink did you drink that stuff in the grulch and he was like yeah i thought it was really nice I was like, did your stomach feel okay today? And he was like, nah, it doesn't feel good. Too much beer and pizza. <laughs> and I was like, I think the bigger issue here might be that you drank semi-fermented kombucha, like <laughs> an entire liter of it almost. And he was like, Stomach oh, probably feels it... never better than ever. <laughs> now maybe, but I think you had to clear it out. Oh, that's pretty funny. What was your food choices? I had chili. That's it? Chili and nachos. Well, not nachos. Like chili tortillas. on nachos? No. Or like you're dipping the chips into yeah, the chili. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That was kind of how, what we did. So got it. Okay. So like a chili con carne with just like tortilla chips to scoop it up. That's exactly right. We had, well, Vasilis brought some Greek stuff, which was really delicious. Some domates, some of the like fried. Uh, lamb balls like cheese stuff really really nice some dips then we had uh, buffalo chicken dip uh, some mozzarella sticks some pizza some tortilla chips like we had too much food in the end we had eight pizzas for six people which which then combined with all the other food at the end of the night there were four entire pizzas left tons of greek food tons everything but i mean you had to factor in people were there for 12 hours so we were kind of like trying to make sure and like obviously after six o'clock there was no way to get more food so it's better to have too much than not have enough yeah running out would have been tragically worse if you know then you've got to go through to like 4 a.m yes Yeah, we didn't do much. We did um, wings in the air fryer, which turned out pretty good. And then we did a blooming onion in the air fryer. And that was really good. And we made a chicken cheesesteak stromboli. And then we were going to do elk burgers for dinner. But Krista didn't really eat much. So then I had to eat the entire chicken cheesesteak stromboli by myself. So that kind of filled me for the day. And we, we passed up on the burgers. <laughs> Did you have to eat the whole thing? Yeah, it was really good. And I was enjoying it. And I didn't want it to see it. You don't like if something is made like that, you don't want to put it in the fridge. And then the next day, it's, you know, it's never going to be as good. And then you're kind of not satisfied. So I figured it was better to eat that as like a lunch and a dinner than to, to eat that the next day. Yeah, probably fair. But no, it was good. I mean, honestly, that's the first time I've socialized with more than one other person in about, I don't know, six months, really, not including my parents. So it was, <laughs> it was a nice, it was kind of, it was almost weird. There was a like genuinely kind of odd to have like a few people and to be talking and have multiple people participating in a conversation. It was a little bit unusual. Like it felt strange, but it was nice. But I guess now the time has come when I get to say my I told you so's. Should we just give you a minute now? Look, I can sum it up. Like an uninterrupted minute. I can just sum it up. I don't even need a minute. I can just guess I 
it turns out offensive linemen are pretty important. I guess that's what we kind of learned uh, this weekend. And so when you're missing your left tackle and your right tackle, you're in trouble. And I think that was the big takeaway. That and the fact that the same game plan that effectively the Niners, Niners Nation, this one's for you, the same game plan that the Niners basically used against the Chiefs last year in the Super Bowl, which was that you didn't actually, you don't actually need to send that many, like you don't need to overload them with blitzes. You don't really need to actually blitz them that much. If you have four good pass rushers on your line, you can get to them. You can cause them trouble pretty consistently. And so you can then actually just double team their main weapons. And that way you can shut them down and get pressure. And so fundamentally it was the same game plan. And the only like Mahomes was a little bit off color, he did a really good job of limping Lots more and more. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with him, but he just doesn't look right. <laughs> and he did a really good job of limping more and more as the game became more and more over. I liked that bit. That was good. He, he, he's been paying attention to Ben Roethlisberger there. That was, that was a good move. Um, and then, uh, you know, like the other thing too is, turns out if the officials actually call some holding penalties against the Chiefs, it's kind of hard for them to play. You want to take that one, Frank? No, I can imagine I mean, you might have been a good. The holding ones are a, a pretty hard sometimes to counter, but what about the other ones in there? Because what was it like, ninety-five yards of penalties, like a whole football pitch in the first half worth of well, in, games? Oh, in the first half, yeah, it was yeah. something like that. I, I mean, there were a few questionable calls and i say questionable because i think more to the fact that the week before in the championship games they were letting teams get away with things and letting them play a little more whereas then this game it looked like they almost went back and started calling a lot more than they did so i looked through there was more penalties called this game than there were in combined between the nfc and the afc championship so there was a lot more called there were a few that were, I think, kind of questionable. Um, the one that definitely comes to mind is when Evans literally ran his route into uh, the Honey Badger and then like pushed the Honey Badger and went to the back. And then they called, they called the pass interference on Honey Badger, who was literally just standing there as he got run into. And then to top it off, the throw was 15 yards out of the end zone. So for pass interference, it would have been on catch roll. They called holding. I, that's understood. That doesn't matter where the throw is. But, but overall, I don't think when you can't score a touchdown that you can blame the officials or blame the play calling. Like if it had been a closer game and maybe that's, you know, one of the, the contributing factors. Okay. But they didn't score a touchdown. Like you, you can't blame anything on the rest if you can't put the ball in the end zone. So. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Anyone trying to use it as a, as like an excuse, they would have needed the referees to be horribly biased towards the chiefs for them to have had any chance of coming out of that game with a win. Yeah. So it, it didn't make a difference. Um, and not to mention a lot of those penalties weren't questionable. Like the one, the guy lined up off sides on a fourth and five yeah. on a, on a field goal or a punt, whatever it was like, that's you being an idiot. Another time the guy punched the guy in the face. That's not a, that's not a questionable call. That's you like controlling your emotions in the biggest game of the year. Come on. So, you know, some of those were definitely shots in the foot, Plaxico Burris style. Yeah, no, they were, they were ill-disciplined and that's going to look, I would also be interested to know if Tom Brady and Bruce Arians in the build up to this Super Bowl, 
I don't know if they get that opportunity to speak to the officials in the, in the lead up to a game and kind of, I think they do. Right. And talk about like, watch out for this, watch out for that. I believe they are able to like have that conversation where they highlight things. I am sure that they sat down with those officials and said, look, they hold on every play. Those their secondary holds on every play. And like, look here, their, their line holds whenever you get pressure on them. Like, I'm sure that that was kind of try. They tried to drill in and maybe it turns out when Tom Brady tries to tell a bunch of officials, watch out for this. Maybe they listen a little bit more to Tom Brady than they do to some other quarterbacks. I think Romo made the same point, right? They was just like, clearly they probably had the opportunity to get in their ear and say this. And also the chiefs did it from minute one. And so if it was done, like kind of, third quarter, fourth quarter, you could maybe understand them not being seen. But if you see it immediately, it's it happens in rugby union as well, right? You know, you see the way a team is playing, the way the team's setting up, you will you won't then unsee it. And that's I it was complete ill discipline for the Chiefs to the point where just going into the half, you honestly just thought things were going to blow up at some point. Like there were some players that just would not calm down. It was looking really bad actually it was it was genuinely looking pretty bad especially if you're a Chiefs fan no I think you're 100% right on the first couple of drives when they had holding calls on the secondary I'm sure the Chiefs they're probably worried a little bit at that moment but once that happened you had to know they're going to call this all day they're not going to suddenly stop calling it in the third quarter so like they yeah they would have known that okay they've laid down the marker you can't you can't get away with this for this game yeah for me I mean we, we texted back and forth kind of throughout the game. And, you know, I kind of said early, this isn't looking good for the Chiefs. And, and I know, like, we joked, like, oh, but they love to come back. But this was different. Before, when they would go down, it would be like they would, they would drive well, they'd have big chunk plays, and then it'd be like, uh-oh, two penalties in a row, or uh-oh, a stupid fumble. This, from that very start of the game, you could tell they were uncomfortable and they were not in sync. That was... And I understand he was under a ton of pressure, but that was the worst game I've ever seen Mahomes play by a lot. And I don't just mean because they weren't scoring, but every throw he had was like a little behind the receiver, a little too high. You know, they just weren't clicking. And it wasn't just him. Like you can't put it on him because obviously he was getting a ton of pressure, but also Kelsey had two easy drops for first downs. Hill had like two easy drops. There was two plays that he hit I mean, the guy in, literally in the helmet, you know, in, like hit in him total. in the face mask. I do agree with you. In total, I will say it felt I now this is down to how they categorize the drops, right? In the end, they only classified three of them as drops, which is interesting. There was a lot more. But that's the official statistic, I believe. Yeah. But I do agree with you. Mahomes never looked good. Now, interestingly though, talking about that, one obviously you said like Travis Kelsey didn't have a great game. And I'm not disagreeing with you, but what is interesting is his 133 receiving yards is the most ever by a tight end in a Super Bowl. So it's kind of strange to walk away from that being like, oh, Travis Kelsey wasn't great, but fundamentally, statistically, had yeah. a great game. And I mean, then, I think 70 of those were in the fourth quarter when they're down yes. by a ton. And when they were playing prevent and just allowing him to get 10, 15 yeah. yards easily. Like, like but, I can remember that one play specifically that it was like a third and 13, and Mahomes actually put a really good throw right on the sidelines. He jumped up. It was like a perfect spot just for him, and he just flat out dropped it. And that was like a drive killer. You know, they're down a touchdown, or maybe it was two at that point. You know, th- those are the plays when it mattered more, you know, getting chunk yards at the end. Yeah. But then what's also interesting, like looking at some of the statistics, so the total number, total amount of pressure 
that the Bucks got. So they got pressure 38 times in that game. In comparison, the Chiefs only got pressure five times. And on plays where uh, Mahomes was under pressure in two and a half seconds or less, his completion rate was only 43%. So it kind of, that's the story of the game. And what is interesting is that Shaq Barrett had 11 uh, pressures, I guess you'd say, which is the second most in Super Bowl history. The most in Super Bowl history was Nick Bosa with 12 last year. So kind of touching on what I'm saying, and I'm not, this isn't saying the Niners you, should have won the Super you, Bowl. Have you just roundabout set yourself up there? Did you know what you were doing? Like the long game you wanted the 49ers? <laughs> no, no. <but> what I'm, <laughs> it's not to plug the 49ers. What it is to plug is there is a game plan on the, there is an obvious yeah. weakness on the Chiefs. Like if two consecutive Super Bowls, you have record-breaking individual performances from linemen trying to get to your quarterback then that is showing that there's it wasn't an off game it wasn't just because their left tackle and right tackle were missing although that obviously contributed but fundamentally this is the weak spot of the chiefs and for everyone going forward this is how you're going to have to beat them now executing that is really difficult and the buccaneers have a great defense and the niners last year had a great defense so it's easier said than done but for any teams out there trying to figure out what the game the game plan is, you've seen it two years in a row in Super Bowls. Yeah, and and I mean they had both their O tackles out, like you said, and and it did make more than you know more of an effect than I thought it was going to, and that was definitely absolutely correct. The other thing is, I I mean I'm a huge Mahomes fan, right? And I will admit he he did not look great yesterday, but what I will say that is pretty impressive is. How many pressures did you say the Bucks had? Total? 38. Yeah, it was 38. like 33% of all. He his... was only sacked three times. So uh, he was trying his hardest to do everything he possibly could, even in a game where you could tell, one, it wasn't clicking as well as it normally is, and two, he, his toe is clearly hurt. I mean, I think they said he's getting surgery next week on it. Yeah. He ran 497 yards to evade pressure from the Bucks that game. That's how much he ran next-gen stats around the field. It's the most by QB this entire season. No, it's crazy. And look, that, that one play when he was like two, three inches off Should've the ground and t- entirely horizontal, if that had been caught and if it had been meaningful, because that's the other issue, it was meaningless. Caught or not, the game was over. But had that been a meaningful play, it would have been the greatest Super Bowl play maybe of all time. And it should like have been, been such an It would have been such an iconic, like... Yeah. F- just him tossing it off the ground, like yeah. as his, basically his knuckles are scraping the grass. But I mean, it didn't matter. And it's weird because he nearly had three incredible plays, but he was disappointing overall. And that kind of yeah. shows you how good he is, like in terms of his playmaking ability, is that in another day, he would have had put 21 points off the, on the board with three crazy plays. And then you would have walked away and been like, he still didn't play that well, though. But yeah, look. First time in his career, he's not had a touchdown pass. Mm. First time in his career, his team hasn't scored a touchdown. First time since 2016, as we touched on earlier in the like a couple podcasts ago, that he's lost by more than a score. Like the first time in his NFL career, he lost the game by more than a score, which is insane. That was the most the first time stat of them all, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's also the first time he's ever been down. Was it by? double digits or over 15 ever like in any game of, of like since his first year of college or something it was something crazy like that well no um, weren't they down they were down double digits to the texans right maybe it was 20 
Yeah. Yeah. When they don't one or something to the Texans. Yeah, yeah actually, the, they had that comeback. Were they? Was it twenty-one-three? Maybe. Know. But yeah, yeah no, lowest I mean, pass, look, lowest passer rating of his career as well. What was it like fifty-two? Yeah. So yeah. It's a lot of negatives when you say it like this, but like you say, there was this, there was these kind of like thin lines between poor stats and moments of genius. Like there was like two plays near the end of the fourth, and obviously he's getting tackled, getting all that pressure. And like you say, the one on the left where he threw it basically on the floor, and then there was one a couple of plays later on the right. I can't remember, but again, he was throwing it under complete pressure and basically twisting his body, and he can somehow still throw accurately. Like it, it was almost impressive, yeah. even in defeat, still watching him like kind of scuttling around and getting out of the pocket. It was crazy. Yeah, he had that one that he rolled to like um, the left side and threw it while being hit and falling backwards into like the cor- back corner of the end zone that I think Nicole Hardman caught, but it was out of bounds. Like that was crazy too. But, you know, we, we've talked in previous weeks sometimes if a QB has a bad game, you know, they lost that game because of him. He had a bad game, but they did not lose that game because of him. And the other thing I think that is going to get a little overshadowed and I don't like it shouldn't is they were just terribly outcoached. I mean, that could be the worst coaching performance I've seen from, from Andy Reed ever, because especially when you look, I mean, now most coaches, they script like the first, what, 15 plays, right? You go back and watch those first 15 plays those were some fucking terrible plays. Like that was your best 15 that you were coming out to the Super Bowl with and, and match that up against the Bucks defense. They came out with their, you know, like first quarter, what they were going to do. And it was dominant compared to those 15 amazing plays that they had scripted up. I mean, that was, and, and then at half, there was no, no adjustments. You know, it, they, they were not able to adjust to what the Bucks were doing. No. And look, Andy Reid should be really, really happy that he won last year's Super Bowl because if this Super Bowl had happened 12 months ago, then the whole like book that was out there on Andy Reid of being like good until it really matters, choking in the playoffs, finding a way to lose when he has the better team, that would have just been the dominant storyline. And you're right, because it's Tom Brady winning and the storyline with Bruce Arians winning and his 95-year-old mother being there, like all of those are like really nice stories. And How is so she the, only 95? That's what I don't get. Because Bruce Arians is like 85. <laughs> I actually thought she looked pretty good for 95. <laughs> I, I mean, I think anyone at 95 kind of looks good, right? Like, Isn't if you he the oldest there. coach in the NFL? <laughs> He's the oldest coach to have won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, but I think he's 60. I don't think he's... What? Think he's, Arians, he's like 63? 68. 60, he's 68. 68. I told you he's old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but 95 makes sense. I mean, that, that she didn't even have him that young, technically, but um, especially not for that era, too, right? Yeah. But uh, it was a mistake. <laughs> well, he turned out okay. Now, I will say, <laughs> did you notice how red he went after the Super Bowl? Like, I mean, the back of his neck, they were like getting the filming him from behind. It looked like his entire body had gone purple. It was very concerning. I was worried that he was not going to oh. make the ceremony. I mean, he's 68. He's close to the life expectancy at this point. He should be happy he's alive. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know what scientific information you are teaching your students, but it is very depressing. But, uh, but yeah, no. 
and look, that was a nice story. And he seems like a nice guy, you know, like genuinely, he seems like one of those good guys in football. And I know that they yeah. always say that whenever a coach wins the Super Bowl, it's like every coach loves him. He's like a coach's coach. Everyone talks about how great he is. But Bruce Arians actually comes across as like a genuinely very nice person. So good for him. Now, my question is going to be is, do you have any concern for Patrick Mahomes? Like, is there any part of you that feels that? Oh, this was we my, may, I, wrote, I wrote this down. That we may have seen, like, maybe we got ahead of ourselves, but this guy is going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, even us, right? Last week we discussed, could he break Brady's record? All that kind of talk. Hmm. And is this now maybe the kind of dose of reality? Like, he have had a couple good years and he wouldn't be the first, right? Like, think of Russell Wilson there. Huge parallels here a little bit. Now, look, Russell Wilson's career is great. But like not dissimilar, Russell Wilson makes the Super Bowl straight away, wins the Super Bowl, then the second year loses to the Patriots on the final play. Like you can kind of see some parallels. You could see a scenario in which Patrick Mahomes now just kind of fades back into the general group of elite quarterbacks. Like he's not going to suddenly be out of the league, but definitely drops down from the pedestal of the greatest of his time to, yeah, just a good quarterback. I mean, it has to kind of... It's obvious to say, but next season will be the true teller of that one, right? This this team is going to be the same team. I think they've already lined up as Super Bowl favorites in the betting as well, um, again. So I think if it happens again, it's a pretty it's a fair argument. It's a fair argument now, but it's a fairer argument in a year's time if this team doesn't do it again. Um, so I, I would I'd probably say next season if they lose in the Super Bowl or or don't get to the Super Bowl basically don't win it um i would say that's definitely a point yeah so my concern here is next year is a big year for them because they need to come out and he needs to prove that obviously he's still elite and one game isn't going to change that the issue becomes is this when you look 15 years from now are we saying mahomes one of the best qbs of all time won four Super Bowls, had that one bad Super Bowl against Brady, otherwise great? Or are you saying, oh, remember that guy Mahomes? He was a great QB, then he had that bad Super Bowl against Brady, and then they just never recovered. Or, or even, I mean, those are the two kind of extreme sides of the spectrum, right? To me, there's even that more middle ground where 10, 15 years from now, we're like, isn't it crazy that the Chiefs only won one Super Bowl during that era? which teams like that happen all the time, right? Where you look at them and you're like, wow, they were stacked everywhere. They had Mahomes, they had Kelsey, they had Tyree Kill, they had all these weapons. And you're like, wow, man, they only won one Super Bowl. Like, isn't that weird? Do you think um, something we mentioned every, almost every week of the regular season was this Chiefs against the spread? It's one of the worst bets of last season. Well, now it's last season. That they in the last 10 games, they were like, well, one and nine against the spread because of this idea that they just never get out of second gear. They're always a second, third gear. Like if that happens again, is that going to be a problem for the chiefs? Do you think? Cause there's an argument to be said that when they finally hit a team that had their number, they didn't have an answer for it this season. So. Yeah, I think, I don't think that that mattered, but I do think it's not great and maybe we look, here's the other thing. Maybe we thought they were in second gear all year. Maybe they were in fifth gear all year. 
Like maybe this Super Bowl has shown we always worked under the assumption that, hey, they don't look great, but like, you know, they're going to be able to turn it on when it matters. And they did a couple times a season. But maybe the reality was like, no, that was that was them. Like they were a team who scored nine points in a Super Bowl. Like we had the, you know, like over the course of the season, they didn't score a ton of points. They weren't the explosive offense that they'd been in previous years. And we convinced ourselves that like, well, they it, it will happen. And we got glimpses. They were against the Bills. It kind of looked that way. And at different moments in the season, it looked that way. But maybe those were the outliers. And the reality is that they they were a team trying really hard and they just weren't that good. You heard it here first. Is that the up? Have we hit the high watermark of the Chiefs, Edward Hewitt? <laughs> I would put it this way if I had to pick, I'm not picking them to make the Super Bowl next year. Now I would be firmly in the camp of I need to see them do it again. Like, had they won the Super Bowl this year, I would have just put them down as okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pencil them in for the next five Super Bowls and see when another team can challenge them. But now it's That's... I want to see them perform over the course of next year before I start to put them back into that category. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Like this season, when you had all of these games where they only won by three or by four or or even like lost to the Raiders in a case, you're always like, it doesn't matter because you know where they're going to be at the end of this. You know where this team is going to be. Whereas next season, you're going to be analyzing those games and these close wins, close losses, whatever it is. And it's like, ah, is this a problem? And I think there's a real different perception maybe with this Chiefs performance. Then again, maybe we're blowing up a single bad performance here yeah. of what is I an mean, awesome team. That's <laughs> the other thing too, right? This is what they're with, with a, a meaningful game taking out week 17. This is what their second loss in 28 weeks, something like that. I mean, and the other thing too, about making it back to the Super Bowl, you also have to compare who's behind them in the bills Browns, you know, I still think they're a clear favorite to make the Super Bowl, maybe not anymore to win. Um, you're bringing back this entire team who led the NFL in yards per game. So, um, it, you know, I think they need to clean up the defense more than anything and then hope they can get some more protection on the line. But if you're getting most of your team back, I don't foresee it being much of an issue. I think this is just they they put up a shitty game and they were really outcoached, um, you know, and it's going to happen from game to game. Maybe, but you know, like I came out of this playoffs feeling very optimistic about the future of the Bills and the Browns. And I expect them to be each each of those teams to be better next year. And I actually kind of expect even the Ravens to be a little bit better next season. Whereas now, like the Chiefs, <laughs> the Chiefs have to be better next season, or else they're not making the Super Bowl. Because they didn't cruise through the playoffs. You know, like they they struggled against the Browns. And we kind of felt like, well, they didn't, they kind of kept them at arm's length and they did enough. But, but, you know, my, now I'm, as I said, I won't, I will say now I'm not picking them to make the Super Bowl next year. But that's not me dismissing them or rolling them out or saying that they're terrible. It's just, I need to see, now I need to be convinced that they are the team we thought they were. Hmm. So my, I guess my last thing before we go on to the, the Bucks, um, I thought they lost that game with that last drive in the first half. And I don't understand why they were so insistent on getting the ball back only down 14 to six with at most, they would have gotten the ball back probably on their own 30 with about 25, 30 seconds left and no timeouts. I don't get why that was worth the risk of 
with a team that you know the week before pulled off a very similar move where they had that late touchdown in the first half with a deep ball that no one thought was going to happen when they just tossed that 40-yard pass. Why you risk that by calling that timeout on third and two versus just going into the half saying, hey, we're down 14-6. We've been down a bunch of times before. We're getting the ball back to start. Let's just regroup, forget this first half, and go out. Because then what happens is not only do they score the touchdown, but I think the part that makes it even worse is that, like Sam pointed to earlier, that just completely blew their like their composure was done after that. Tyron Matthew was like on the bench yelling at his coach. Tyreek Hill was getting into a fight with the, I forget, one of the D-backs. You could see them like arguing on the, like, on, on the sidelines. Like it was not a good look at the end of that first half. And I think the factors of that extra touchdown that they gave to them basically by calling those timeouts and just the implosion of that team, they were never the same. They came out in that second half and you knew right away either it was they had forgotten it or they didn't and they didn't and it was over. I mean, the Bucks outplayed them, I think, even more in the second half than they did in the first half. So I think that was the worst call of of that game and that basically cost them the game. Not cost them, but that cost any chance of them getting back into it. I understood the first time out that they called because that's kind of like standard play. The second time out was insane because as you said, it was like, well, you, you're going to get 20 seconds back. Like the best you can hope for is a, is a field goal. Maybe even that would have, would take a great drive. Whereas the risk is huge, especially against a team, even regardless of like the week before, it's just Tom Brady. Like, you know what he can do. He's made a career out of like minute, minute drives to score, to win games or to put points up at the end of a half. Like that's what he does. Like when he was at the Patriots, that was like one of their key things was, they would defer, they'd score with that final uh, drive before the half, then they'd score to open the half, and there was this like 10 to 14 point swing, and suddenly a game looked totally different. I, yeah, I don't, I don't really get why they called the second one, but I mean, they were fundamental, they were outplayed from the start of that game till the end. Hmm. Like once, once the Bucks took the lead, it was game over. I mean, that's the yeah. real th- truth. Like they, and the only thing that kept us or kept me from feeling that way over the course of the game was because it was the chiefs because you just keep telling yourself like it's the chiefs they can score points quickly they can come back even in the fourth quarter i was telling myself like you don't know like if they score on this drive then suddenly it's a two-score game and then if they if it's if it's a one-score game with four minutes left then who knows but yeah you were saying that that, that romo was trying to calculate it on on air sounded like a jackass <laughs> oh yeah it, it was awkward watching them do math it, it was really strange but there well, was, it was the only flicker i had for the chiefs was that opening drive of the second half where they moved the ball well with kelsey basically like i know it got stopped but there was this moment where it's like okay now something's happening now they're actually moving with like fluidity where they had like three or four first downs in a row like that i think that was genuinely the only moment in the entire game where i was like oh here they come kind of thing. Well, I also thought it was kind of awkward listening to Romo try and talk, which look, I feel bad because it's their job, but trying to talk it up as if the game was still a game when it was clear to everyone, it was kind of over, but they have to do that commentators thing because they want you to hang around. So they still want to be like, no, there's only six minutes left and this is a landslide victory for the bucks. But trust us, the chiefs are right where they want to be. Like anything could happen here. It's like, no, no, this is, 
this is yeah, game over. Was, wasn't there that point like with like four minutes left where he's like, if they don't get the fourth down here, I'm calling it. I'm calling yeah. the game. It's like it's yeah. 31-9. <laughs> I mean, he was, uh, yeah, he was, I think he was joking at that point, but, but yes, fundamentally, like it's still the, the, and look, that's their job. You can't be like, look, people, you can switch it off now. This game is over. So now getting to the other side, Tom Brady, another great Super Bowl performance made me do some digging as how times have changed since the first time he won a Super Bowl. Okay, we'll start off with some sports. Any idea who won the World Series or the NBA championship the year Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl? Uh, was it the Arizona Diamondbacks the year he won his first? It was not. The Yankees? Nope. Uh, You're not getting an answer from me, so it's all you, Eddie. I, I'll, I mean, two, two attempts is enough. At Anaheim Angels. Okay. How about and the NBA championship? The Lakers? The Lakers swept New Jersey and Shaq was named finals MVP. Roger Federer was still one year away from winning his first Grand Slam title. That's a crazy stat. And see, that's a yeah. crazy one because just of how old Federer is and it feels like he's been around forever. So to have won something and still be around when Federer wasn't even Federer yet, that's actually, that's crazy. So, what, what iPhone are we on now? 11? 12? 12. 12. 12. No, it's 12. 12. Yeah. 12. 12. It's still five years before the first <laughs> iPhone even came out. <laughs> <laughs> You're five years pre-iPhone. Pre-smartphone, pre right? How about this one? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give you... There was like that good, Microsoft smartphone. I'll give you a good blast from the past. I think Eddie would like. This was the year Michael Jackson came under fire for holding Prince Michael II over his hotel balcony in Berlin. <laughs> oh, nice. That probably inspired Tom Brady in a way. That's like, probably one of those things. He's like, that's the kind of relationship I want with my children. <laughs> this is how I need to hold the ball. <laughs> Benifer was still a thing back then. They were currently dating, as were Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. Oh, that's surprising. I would have gone, I would have gone Pitt Jolie at that time. So that is The Bachelor ran its first season as did American Idol. That's a crazy one to me. I feel like American Idol has been on forever. I do think Tom Brady's one of those, as weird as it sounds, even though all of these things make me feel old because obviously there's stuff I remember and that feel part of, not even my childhood, part of the like beginning of my adolescence. But Tom Brady at least keeps me feeling young because... <laughs> Well, it's just a familiar face, right? You don't have to confront the idea that everyone you grew up watching is gone. And now you're onto the generation where like they're all younger than you. And you're kind of watching people who like have followed you, not obviously in your footsteps, but generationally speaking. And <laughs> at least Tom Brady, it's like, oh yeah, I've been watching Tom Brady since I was like in my early teens. Like it's, it's kind of keeps you like, this feels very familiar. 
it's like watching an old t it's like watching reruns of a tv show from when you were 12 years old but it's still going isn't this like meant friends? to help like them isn't this meant to help people that suffer from dementia when they have True. a consistent thing in their life so <laughs> oh, God, frank frank when tom brady <laughs> retires you are in big trouble i'm done it's just completely out the window friends was still on the air like new episodes coming out I these are some of the movies that came out in 2002 <laughs> harry potter and the chamber of secrets Crap. lord of the rings which one uh 2002 did you say that's yeah. the first one isn't this it is the first one two well, towers first oh that was ice age <laughs> overrated men in black 2 overrated and, and my big fat greek wedding all aired that year not even rated <laughs> Yeah, that's a bad year for movies. I gotta say, at least from my perspective. Well, what what won the Academy Award for Best Picture? Any guesses? The Pianist. Nope. Two thousand two. Lord of the Rings. No, it's nope. the first one that won, wasn't it? Oh, I don't no, know. I think it was the third one that won. Don't know. Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Oh, so close. A beautiful mind. <laughs> and nice. Denzel Washington won Best Actor for Training Day. Oh. That probably made me feel old. You saying that Training Day was the film. That feels like a very old film for me. Like Lord of the Rings still ages well, but Training Day feels like a very old film for me now. Training and Day, the only thing that I associate now with Training Day is people either name me it as their favorite movie because they think it somehow makes them cool or over quoting it. Like the number of times I had to listen to some idiot be like, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Like, it's <laughs> like, oh, shut up. <laughs> and the top song on the billboard charts, Nickelback's How You Remind Me. Oh, wow. Chad classic. Kroger. Full circle, how you remind me, Tom Brady, of what it was like the first time you won a Super Bowl. And this is really good, too. I saw this one. I just have to mention this. After the victory, his first Super Bowl, President Donald Trump asked Tom to be a judge at his Miss USA pageant, and the two embarked on an ever-long friendship. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh That's dear. where it all began. Yeah. Well, Wait, don't worry. Like America, public uh, friends? Um, Are they like publicly friends? Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom Brady's a big Trumper. He's, I mean, he had <laughs> and the he MAGA likes hat. Donald Trump. And he likes yeah. Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, he had the MAGA hat in his like locker that he got heat for and stuff. Like, ah, uh, that's it. Mm. So, how many more? How long is Brady staying around for here? I mean, there's there's absolutely nothing stopping him, as we know from Kirk Cousins. Arm <laughs> strength, still good as a 43-year-old. Like, well, look, he said 45. He always said that was his goal. And I just think at this point, why why wouldn't he go till he's 45? Like, now, here's the thing is, if you get to 45 and you're him and you're still competitive, do you go for 50? Because like, 
if you make it to 50, that is legitimately insane. But there would be a point where you have to get the police involved if you just see someone legitimately take a hit on a 50-year-old. <laughs> That's like not elder, sport. That's just elder abuse. domestic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's great. Like he's like no flag is all right. He's arrested. Problem solved. Um, I think I think he's competitive enough of a person that he'll know when he just isn't at that level anymore and will stop. Like, I think if he were Drew Brees this year, he would have retired and probably not play this year because he would have rather, you know, like I, I don't think he's going to be that type of person who can play when he's just not that great anymore. Cause I think it'll just drive him insane too much because he is that competitive that I think he's going to know. And I don't think it's going to be like, this doesn't seem to me look like it's going to be 45. I mean, he, he played great all like all postseason except that second half of that last game. But other than that, he, like he played, he, he played good enough to put them in it and never put them out of it. Yeah. yeah I think we might, we might feel differently had he lost just any of those games. I know this sounds stupid, but I didn't walk away feeling like he was spectacular in any of the games. He was decent. He, he was, he's marginally better than that kind of final Peyton Manning season. Where it's like, no, he is way better than that. That final Peyton Manning season, they, they were telling him just hand off, like don't throw Peyton. Just I think throw. you forget how bad he was in the second half of that Packers game. Like I legitimately think you're forgetting how, how far he went to try and get the Packers to win that game like, three interceptions in four drives it was it's very very bad. easy now because it's like he won the super bowl and like even yesterday he played well but he didn't have to do a lot like the defense won that them him them that game he made some nice plays and stuff but like it wasn't a spectacular tom brady performance it's just from halftime onwards he kind of didn't need to do anything and and they got good field position they had that terrible punt which helped them out you know like things kind of went their way for making kid. <laughs> I would love life. to rip that kid's hair off that ass twice. Would you have done it the first time, then the second, or well, the first time he did well. The first time he did really well yeah. to to he pick up. I mean, he had punt, like a fifty-three yard punt. Two, and he had two atrocious punts, and then he almost fumbled the other one as well. So he had three bad punt sequences. But it drives me insane that you let a rookie punter have that hair. You've got to cut that. Someone on a team has got to hold him down and cut his hair. Yeah, I just think as a punter, it just looks too attention-seeking to be like, I gotta make sure people notice me, recognize me. Like, I've got to. Oh, they noticed him. Yeah, (laughs) he got noticed yesterday. It wasn't the hair, (laughs) especially when he already has a name that sounds kind of stupid, almost. So, uh, I think it sounds English. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, stupid. But no, he, he. But look, I, I mean, I, I do agree with you, but who knows? Now, here's a more interesting one. Gronkowski, you retire, right? Like this ah. is... so, so this is what's crazy. Do you know Gronkowski and Kelsey are the same age? Wait, no. Yes. How insane is that? They're the same age. How insane is that? That's surprising. They're both 31 years old. How long has their careers been for in the NFL? Same time? Or is it, have we just seen Gronk for longer? 
Yeah, that's crazy. Because he sure <laughs> feels to, like that. I had to How fact check you that? on that one. And I mean, he's, he has May versus October birthdays. So he's just marginally older than him. That is now, I guess that's probably pushed him into a one year ahead. I guess would be, I think. So, but yeah. Haven't the Bucks got a lot of players out of contract at the end of this? Uh, I think Gronk's one of them. I think uh, Levon David's another. Uh, Sue and and Domkin Sue's another. Um, Fournette, I think, is another as well. Like, there's a lot of that championship winning team or Super Bowl winning team that probably will extend. But is there is there any worry that the Bucks kind of core unit wouldn't sign on now that they've won the Super Bowl? No, but I mean. But but in all seriousness, just to answer, if you're Gronkowski, do you retire? I don't think so. I think as long as Brady's there, Gronk's going to get was, attention. He was kind of a corpse this year. Like he managed to have one game where he was looked a little bit like the old Rob Gronkowski, and it was in the Super Bowl, and he got to have two Super Bowl catches, two two, two touchdown catches, and. You know, he only had six receptions for 61 yards or something. It's not like he had a dominating performance overall. He was just right place, right time on two very important plays. Surely you bow out now and you get to retire as a Super Bowl champion, retire with like a good game. If anything, they should do it in the same way that we wheel out Mariah Carey at Christmas. So you just kind of like shepherd Gronk for a year. And then at the Super Bowl, he just comes out and does his thing. Like, why can't you just do it like that? I mean, you could. Nothing's nothing stopping you, but no, and and I, and look, we we obviously led off by talking about everything that was wrong with the Chiefs and how they were disappointing. The Buccaneers fundamentally just deserve a lot of credit. They won that game, like it was not the Chiefs throwing oh, yeah. it away. It wasn't like the Bucks won it, like hands down won it. So like the lead story should just be how good the Bucks were, how good their defensive plan was, how how well they executed it, how they didn't make any mistakes on offense which was crucial um, how the chiefs did. And Hey, that was the other thing like that bet on the seven to five on Mahomes to throw an interception that one. So that was nice. Yeah. Which I guess we could kind of bring on Frank. You had the heartbreak of the national anthem Ugh. bet being ruined by someone who leaked the, rec- the uh, rehearsal asshole. video. If I'm ever in Florida, I will hunt that guy down. I didn't he read the full it. story. Why did he leak it though? Because like, this, so this is the thing. He's literally just an asshole because he leaked it and he was like, Hey, all my gambling fans, like here's the rehearsal time for the national anthem and then put it up. And people were like, dude, you're such an asshole. Cause now no one's gonna be able to bet on it. And he was like, if I had the ability to change the betting landscape, then that's awesome. And I'll take it every day. Or so he said something along the lines, like, like he, he, he enjoyed the fact that he had ruined it, which makes him even more of a prick. It's it's like uh, just a douche. He could have made a ton of money, like tell three or four people to go out there and get this bet on. You could no, because he'd rather he'd rather get the exposure off of Twitter. But he'd rather the exposure and the name. Okay. But here's the killer: the reason why you probably couldn't have made a ton of money anyway is it's one of those bets. Like the, they won't let you put a ton on it. Like if you tried to throw 50,000 down, they'd be like, something's up here. Like this guy either is irresponsible and shouldn't be placing bets or he knows something and we're going to lean towards, you know, something. So you'd have had to have rounded up 
like Hundreds 50 of, of your friends, each of whom had to then have multiple gambling accounts open, <laughs> maxed out their bets on the national anthem. And you still would have run the risk that they, some like something goes wrong. And the suddenly in the, like the rehearsal video, like the re- rehearsal performance was 10 seconds longer than the real one. Cause like in the moment they forget something or something changes. And it was, it wasn't exactly what he said it was either. It was about five or six seconds longer in the rehearsal than it actually was. But uh, they had interviewed one of the, the betting firms about this. And they said that what happens is usually Saturday out of nowhere, they'll get like a flood in activity. And they know at that point that rehearsals has ha- have happened and that people now know. And, and so like after that, they'll take those bets and usually then like it dies down. They said this year the flood was about a hundred to a thousand times more than they normally see. So they know something had happened, like it had been announced publicly, and then they just shut it all down. <laughs> yeah, and then hey, I was also disappointed for you because obviously you'd predicted that there the would have been there was the guitar solo, <laughs> and then when it happened in uh, what is that, America the Beautiful? What is that? Yeah. yeah, when the guitar solo happened there, I was like, there's not going to be back to back guitar solos that. <laughs> She has taken your thunder like the guitar solo out the window. Took it. Uh, but yeah, it was nice and long, like I thought. But unfortunately, I didn't get my bet in in time. I also lost my other prop bet, which was the over two and a half people to have a pass attempt. And <laughs> that was pretty funny because on that first reverse that the page, uh, Patriots, Jesus Christ, the Bucks ran, all I did was start screaming at the TV, like, throw it, throw it. Like he was in no any way, shape, or form going to throw that ball. It was not a planned throw. But as soon as I saw it happening, I was just like, throw, throw. And credit to the Bucks, right? Because that was a really stupid play. And I was a little bit worried when they ran that play that like, uh-oh, here comes like some like game plan that involves gimmicky nonsense that they don't need to be doing. And either credit goes to them that they had to get that out of their system with one early attempt or credit to them for shifting away from any of that plan. If they had ever decided that that was going to be like a, a key component in their, in their scheme, because that was a disaster. They just got away with a three yard loss and they never tried it again. Yeah. And then that kind of just to me brings up to the, the Chiefs again. And I just didn't get what their game plan was because that's a team who loves to have these unique and uncharacteristic plays, you know, where they're shifting people and doing all these things. And you didn't see that really yesterday. I mean, there was one or two plays where Tyreek Hill did his like run one way, then run the other way. But that was about it. They didn't run any reverses, very little like trick screen plays, none of those shovel passes, no like quick formation changes like they just seemed out of it I don't, like I just altogether don't think, they just they couldn't they couldn't do any of that because the bucks were so good i mean the, the stat that i loved was that they they only blitz five times out of like 50 odd you know the 50 odd times it kind of went through and it just meant that they were allowed to give more coverage it meant that you know the main weapons for the chiefs weren't able to get anything which means that mahomes can't be that creative because he knows he's going to get pressured and also knows that his main guys aren't going to be open. So it just kind of stifles creativity. It was, it was perfect from the Bucks defense. It's always a sad thing about the Super Bowl, right? It's, it's always the crescendo, but the sad realization that you're then, what, six months out before it all kind of six, seven months out before it kicks off again. 
Yeah, I mean, really, September, right? I'm not, I'm not, I don't care that much about the draft and stuff. Like, it will be interesting this year to see the first few picks, but it's not one of those things that I get incredibly excited about. So, the draft. So, seven years, seven months until it's seven, really, seven years, seven years, <laughs> seven, seven years, years until I care again. See Brady at 50. Exactly. That's when I'm back in. But yeah, no, you're right. And obviously, for us, right? We're going to have to. That's uh, two hours of content a week that's just gone out the window. So we're going to have to, <laughs> for listeners, we're going to have to be, we'll be covering a few more sports. We're going to do some more interviews. and get you, know, in, more. Um, you know, in Dodgeball, they have, what is it, Obscure Sports Weekly. And they have on the front cover, it's things like midget tossing as a sport. <laughs> we're going to be going right into the weeds of obscure sports now. Sam, little people, little people tossing. Yeah. I'm just quoting a film from the Times. <laughs> it's not an opinion of myself. Wow, we could get into trouble for just quoting films. <laughs> yeah, actually, I I'm cost just going to lot of money. I'm sorry. I'm just going to quote "Birth of a Nation" for a while now. <laughs> as depressing it as it is with no football now, it is kind of a nice little break because, like, you get like a few months to kind of do other things on a Sunday, you know, you're not like tied, tied to a TV all Sunday. And then before you know it, you get flat racing season. And then before you know it, Royal Ascot in June. So it's a nice little few months. Wow. That's how, that's how I progress my, my year. I will say, I do agree from me living in Europe, not having the Monday and Thursday up until four or five in the morning, every single week. That's kind of nice. So I will look forward to sleeping a little bit more over the next couple of months. But I mean, yeah. This is when I do my most antiquing, February through May. <laughs> oh, God. Sunday look, antiquing. But look, the Champions League is about to come back. We're not far. We're a month away from Cheltenham. Like, there's a lot of big sporting events on the horizon. There's the Euros to look forward to. There's a lot of things coming up. I guess what we could transition to now and saying one thing probably not look that we have, we don't nearly need to look forward to is any kind of title race in the Premier League because that is well and truly over after City dismantled Manchester uh, uh, Liverpool uh, yesterday uh, 1-4-1 it is in the very least Liverpool are out of the title race but it looks as if City will be regaining their Premier League title I mean Alisson Alisson dismounted Liverpool now here's the question is the last time a Liverpool goalkeeper made a series of mistakes, we then were told he had a concussion during the match and we never saw him again. Will Will Allison oh. be... Will what was Allison, he called? Carius? Carius? Yeah, was that his yeah, name? In the, in the Champions League final against Real Madrid. Will um, Will Allison suddenly be discovering that he got hit in the head mismatch and mid-match even and uh, be shipped off to Turkey or wherever it is Carius uh, went? That's... Three successive home defeats for Liverpool. Now, I mean, they're out. Of the, of course, they're out of the title race now. But do they have to start looking downwards at some point? I think they're at serious risk of not making the Champions League. Like that is that is up. I think they will. I don't want. To, I'm not going to say now that they won't. But it is at least something that has to be considered. That would be that would be one of the biggest falls from 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 grace, I guess, for the term. But similar to what you were saying about the Chiefs, kind of like this idea of like 
Liverpool had the potential to be like a dynasty team here, right? And the way over the past couple of seasons, they were very unlucky the season before they won it just to come up against Man City and that kind of win-for-win trade-off that they did. That was incredible to watch. But do you think Liverpool have that problem now? That they have this potential that if they don't win anything this year and then say City continue to dominate, is this like a dynasty that's going to be forgotten for Liverpool? I, I mean... Yes, but for the reason that I never thought they had any chance of being a dynasty. Just because the difference for me between Chiefs and, and Liverpool is I never thought that Liverpool were the best team in England or Europe. I thought they were the best team at winning, but I never thought they were the best team. Like I always thought that if City played their best match and if Liverpool played their best match, that City would win. And I thought that last year, even when Liverpool won the title at a canter. So in a sense... I don't feel any differently about them now. I just feel that they've kind of run out of all the luck that, I mean, put it this way, 12 months ago, Liverpool would have won that match the way City won it. Like stupid mistakes, like, uh, or, you know, City missing the penalty and then Liverpool would have scored and won the match 1-0 and you would have looked back and said, like, well, City missed the penalty and had a few chances and they somehow didn't didn't win and like, oh, here here come Liverpool again. So... Yes, I think, look, if you're lining up Jordan Henderson and Fabinho as your central defenders in key matches for long periods of time in a season, you don't deserve to win anything. Like Klopp has a lot, has a lot to answer for. Yes, they've had injuries. Yes, they've had bad luck. But if your strength and depth at such a key position is that there is a scenario in which Jordan Henderson has to become a central defender for a sizable chunk. You've you've messed up. There's no two ways around it. So is the more interesting race now for second, for runner-up? I think the top... Like the the second spots. Yeah, like in general, I would say. No one really cares who finishes second, right? But... The, the race for the top four, because obviously right now that's United, Leicester, and Liverpool, but you have Chelsea who are one point behind Liverpool. So the top four race is going to be interesting. Spurs I mean, like that. So so here's my thing, though. Like you, you say the runner-up, like really no one cares, but you don't think that United fans will at least feel some optimism if they can call themselves runner-up this, this season? No. no. I think the they'll, being in the top four maybe finishing above Liverpool might be something that they take pride in or at least enjoy the suffering of Liverpool supporters. But the fact that they aren't genuine title contenders, like now that it looks like City will win this league easily or, you know, by a number of points, no, there's no real consolation in coming second versus coming third. Like, yes, if they'd push City really close and City had won by three points, which, oh, who knows, maybe it happens, but it would yeah. require City really slipping up. Then, yes, but so this just, is, they're going to finish 10 points behind City. It's going to be like, well, yeah. okay. So just Champions League or this is all that matters at this point? Yeah. So obviously for Leicester, if they can stay in the top four, that's huge for them. But then for all those teams knocking on the door, I mean, I don't want to dismiss West Ham, but I can't see them finishing in the top four. Uh, but <laughs> no, I really I can't. Ever- no, there's no but here. I mean, Everton will Everton will move into the top four if they win their games in hand. Uh, Spurs aren't far off it. You know, I'm sure Sam will try and convince us that 
Arsenal have some kind of a chance. I don't know how, but I guess it's mathematically possible. Um, you know, yeah. if Aubameyang remembers that he once played football, then maybe maybe they've got a chance. I don't I don't know what has to happen. <laughs> no, the last two losses have really kind of stifled the run we had. But you know, there, there was an alternate universe that if Arsenal had won these two games and kept that form going, they would have been like four points behind Liverpool. And that's there a, was a moment that's more just, damning oh for Liverpool. God, yeah. That's more damning for Liverpool. I will bring I will bring off podcast discussions into this. But about ten days ago, Sam was crowing about how how Arsenal were in in a position to only be four or five points behind Manchester United. Like this was the scenario yeah. he was spinning. <laughs> they they the, were, but then they lost two games, and it yeah, was now, through it was through the stupid things that they did before. So like now they're off. and now they're fourteen points behind them. And they've come back down to earth where they where they yeah. were playing in the earlier part of the season. Yeah, I mean we're nine off, we're nine off Liverpool, and that actually sounds better than it did. So I, yeah, I'm looking yeah, for those was, optimistic points. Look, and if if you're right, Sam, if this were August, and you were and you were telling yourselves, hey, in February we're only be nine points off Liverpool, and then in and everyone would go, oh yeah, Liverpool are going to have another one of those undefeated long stretches where they win every match so nine points off we're going to be second or third we must be like second or third yeah yeah <laughs> but in the reality that we're living in now nine points off fourth which could soon be fifth it's not that impressive give a man a bracelet give him a, a world of hope and optimism <laughs> <laughs> he duke accursed you <laughs> but yeah no and now look te- speaking of teams that disappointed this weekend we did our Six Nations preview with Jake uh, last week, and the only real takeaway from this weekend was that England were bitterly disappointing in a fairly dull match against Scotland, but one that they lost. Uh, they went, lost 6-11, which for anyone not familiar with rugby, if you consider that the scoring system is fundamentally the same as the NFL, an 11-6 game is not exactly a thriller. Um, so, uh, it was not great to watch. Uh, and once again, England have started their six nations off with a below par performance. They did the same last year against France. This is obviously worse because France turned into quite a good side. I don't think Scotland are going to turn out to be the surprise package of this six nations. So that will just go down. It's the first time they've lost to Scotland at Twickenham for 38 years. So something that the Scots will be talking about for the next 138 years. Um, but, you know. <laughs> had, a, had a throw a dig in there. <laughs> I mean, look. No, they I, will. They will. <laughs> I always say this. I've, uh, you know, the same like when Blackburn had a long, long undefeated uh, sequence against Burnley, their biggest rivals. If when you finally break the hoodoo and you win for the first time in a long time, you can't celebrate too much because what you're really celebrating is years of incompetence. Like it shouldn't take you 38 years to beat a team playing the same sport on re- on a relatively level playing field. And it's not like England have been the best nation in the world for the last 38 years. There've been plenty of years where England have been a fairly mediocre international rugby team. So Yes, it's good, but no other teams in the Six Nations, Italy aside, are looking at 38 years of not winning at Twickenham. So fundamentally, the Scots can just use this as a little asterisk that denotes how terrible they've been for several decades. 
there was so much power in your argument there. <laughs> Remember how insignificant you are, Scotland, yeah. in the wider scheme of things. Your victory has just highlighted your place in the order of the world. But yeah, it was poor. It was um, the reason England lost was just Ill, complete ill-discipline, stupid penalties, cheap errors, poor handling. It, it was just a bad performance, and they still only lost by four. Scotland could have won by a few more, but it, it kind of goes to Eddie's point, is that they won by five when England were terrible. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to catch it live, and then once I saw the final result, I didn't feel necessary to watch it at 9 p.m. that night when they were going to play in America. So I just went against watching it completely. You didn't miss out. It, it wasn't good. Um, and look, that's not to say it wasn't good because England lost because a couple of years, well, yeah, two years ago when they had that 35-all draw, whatever it was, yeah. which was a fantastic match. So it's not just a, a case of England lose, terrible, don't watch. It was just not great. Neither side will have walked away from that feeling like they had played a spectacular match. Obviously, Scotland will be the happier and Scotland did do a lot well, but you know, it required a very below par performance on England's uh, side, side of things in order for Scotland to be able to, to win that. And England will have some excuses in that a lot of their players haven't played for quite like basically since the autumn they're missing quite a few players because of injuries and suspensions. Like there are reasons there for them to be able to kind of excuse it and see it as a blip, but still it was, it was poor, but I did like Eddie Jones after the match. You know, I think he gets flack a lot of the time because he, the way he deals with the media annoys a lot of the media, but I did like, he gave no excuses they asked him, you know, they tried to give him every kind of possible opportunity to say, like, don't you think you were hurt by the fact that there were no, there was no crowd, that if it had been a normal match at Twickenham when it had been 6-9, the, the crowd would have got behind you and the players would have got fired up and Scotland would have got a bit nervous. And he said, like, we're not even going to consider these scenarios because that's not the situation we were playing in. And you, you kind of, unlike Klopp, who's uses every excuse in the book, and finally it took until... February of this year for Klopp to like ex exhaust his excuse book. You know, it was, it was eight months long, but uh, this time at least uh, Eddie Jones kind of just called it as it was, which Scotland were quite good and England were very bad. Did you see in that Klopp interview when he was saying that he thought that Liverpool were actually really good and then he said, but I can tell from your eyes, he was looking at the journalist or the reporter doing it. And he was like, but I can tell from your eyes, you disagree with that. And the guy was like, I'm just listening to you. You're the one like calling yourself out in a way. So what he kind of came across as is Klopp was like, no, we didn't play that well. I'm just trying to find someone else that's hopefully saying it. But speaking of, um, speaking of England, Eddie, you were obviously, I couldn't have been more confident about India, right? And now we're going into this final day. They need 4.20. And uh, Sharma's come out and said they're, going, they're playing a win. They yeah, think that say, they can chase down 4.20. They can't. They, they think they can chase down 4.20. No, 381. 381. Yeah, 4.20 total. So 381, oh, okay, re okay. 381 yeah. remaining. But yeah, yeah. 4.20 is the, yeah. the, the total, yeah. So 90 overs. Are they going to repeat the Australian Gabba? Or is this an England win here? Or is it a draw? Is it? So I think it's going to be a draw. Um, 
And I, but I yes, I mean, fool me once, shame on shame on you, right? This is but as someone who has sat through uh, already in the past couple of weeks, India pulling off a historic fourth day, fifth day, fourth innings run chase to uh, hurt me. Uh, I won't be taking any very strong positions on what the possible outcomes of this one will be. But look, England have been better than I thought they were going to be, and Joe Root's first innings performance was very very good spectacular i do think that their second innings performance is maybe a sign of what the rest of this series might look like um but obviously they were playing in a scenario in which they were just trying to get a few runs relatively quickly so you can't read too much into it but um look i think they should have decla- i think they should have declared sooner i think they needed to be aggressive i think they needed to give themselves more time but, but i understand that they're wary of india's ability to chase big totals and to score runs quickly so I do get what they're saying. I think that's mind games on the Indians part a bit, just yeah. so that England don't England consider that it's a three result scenario and don't start to just think, well, we can just set attacking fields because it's either win or it's either draw or win. And they have to think, well, we don't want them to get a hundred runs quickly and then really be thinking about chasing this down. Yeah, they need they need the early one or two wickets. And again, that's a it's an old cliche and it's really obvious, but they need to just eliminate that idea of winning very early but uh, you they know need, that you, you, they need to do the so, same thing they started in the first innings yeah but the, the funny thing is right if we go back to the gaba australia took an, a wicket early on and at lunchtime it looked like india were just plodding along and not scoring runs quickly but the the, the thing about the modern game right is if you get to t needing 150 200 yeah you start to think, well, if we if we flip into one day mode or T twenty mode, if we've got six wickets left, like if we need to go at six, seven, and over, we can do this. Like especially if it's Pant at the wicket, if they've still yes. got someone like Pant there, it it will just turn into a completely different game. Um, it's an exciting end. I think I'm biased. I'm I'm going to say I hope England win. I I think yeah. when when they review the pitch. Uh, they said that actually it's showing up to be a bit more uneven and cracked than it usually would at this time. So that might favor England, but it's a good finish considering, you know, England at one point looked like they were just going to continue to scoring constantly in that opening um, opening innings. It's It's going to be a good finish. And I hope that this shows England to have a bit of backbone, that they can take these wickets, they can pressure India, because it will set them up nicely for the remaining tests. But I think yeah. it, w- it wouldn't be a good result considering the start they had if England drew this or yeah. indeed lost. Yeah, and look, the one thing I will say too is it's a little bit surprising to me what the current odds are. So you currently have the draw is the favorite. It's 8 to 11, 4 to 6 in some parts. The fact that England aren't favorites when all they need to do is take nine wickets over the course of a full day's play on a fifth day wicket. Like, I do think that might be a slight overreaction to what India did in, in Brisbane and also just a slight overreaction to the idea of this is India in India. But the reality is history tells you, and we saw it actually even today, actually, not similar circumstances in that South Africa were, who are in Pakistan were chasing a smaller total, but they went in 
I think Pakistan, Sri Lanka had nine wickets, uh, South Africa had nine wickets left and needed another sort of 182, 200 runs. And there, you, you again, you looked at the betting and thought, well, South Africa have a chance. And then just fifth day, you just get wiped out. It's the, the history of cricket would tell you that the bowling team has the huge, huge advantage here. Yeah, and also if England weren't spinning that well and were just getting lucky, maybe if India were giving her wickets away cheaply, but Bess is bowling well. So they've got their spinner bowling well on a five-day pitch in India. It, it, it does feel, I agree, I agree. At least, at the very least, they should be flipped, those odds. But um, yeah, yeah. It's, it'll be I mean, a I, good day's cricket. It depends, because like the first, India's first time they went, 73 over for four at a point you know so like they were getting wickets early but then when you think like when you watch because i i'm able to watch to lunch that's when i can watch and i have to stop once they hit lunch because then it comes too late and i'm not going to stay after lunch to see them resume but in that first inning i think two of the two of the catches were like really nice like root had a really nice catch and i think i forget who the other one was it was, I know Archer was bowling, but I forget who caught it, but there were like two really nice grabs. So like a lot, a little bit of that was luck, right? So if they can get that luck again and, and catch one or two wickets early, then maybe they have a shot. But if India can avoid those lucky grabs and just drain on and, and keep playing, I think they can, I, I think they can get the draw. It'll be interesting. I'm more yeah. excited to see how England come out and how they want to play it. If they just go into like full attack. Now, Eddie, I know that you recalibrated and you looked at Joe Root as man the match as a solid bet. Now here's a scenario. Say India win. If India win, of course the person who leads that run rate will be the man the match all likelihood. What uh, do you think the draw would be the same if whoever leads that result to a draw? Do you think that bet's under threat? Joe Root man the match? Uh if I think if it's one top order batsman batting the entire day and wickets falling around him and his innings really gets the result. But I think you're really talking about someone batting 70 overs tomorrow. I think it's 90 is the minimum. No, I know. But I mean, of, yes, the, yeah, of the length, yeah. one individual batsman needs to bat 70 overs of that. And they need to be for seven or eight. Like it can't be India get a draw and they're, you know, 300 for three. Like and England kind of didn't look threatening, then I would say no. The other scenario, right, in which Joe Root might not get man of the match is if a single England bowler rips through the Indian side. Like that is took what five in the last innings? Was it five? Yeah. So if he were to take six or seven wickets in this, then you'd have to give it to him. So all to play for. So I had a many amount of bets over this weekend and one had survived the Super Bowl Sunday and it was Chiefs to win and England on the two-way market. So it would have been either for 600 or 2000 and unfortunately neither of those are an option any longer. So I was invested in spending the night tonight to stay up and watch probably the whole match. I would have watched the whole thing, but now I I'm not going to be bothered. I'll watch till lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Fair weather fan over there. I mean, it's nice for us, right? Because come on, it's tough. 
It's no, I, look, lunch I, is at midnight. Look, <laughs> just have Frank, a lunch I, at midnight then. Join them. Frank, I can tell you as someone who recently sat through that India, Australia, well, Australia, India, fifth day, I agree with you. It's tough. It's long. But when I when that match ended at 7.30 in the morning here, and especially with India winning, it didn't feel great. But for Sam and I, it's actually almost perfect timing because basically when we wake up, we you'll wake we'll wake up around the lunch break basically yeah, just end of the morning session basically yeah. so then you get the whole afternoon session and then the evening session and you hope that i mean fundamentally as long as england have taken a wicket in the morning session you'll still feel like well this is all results are at play yeah i'll pretend to work whilst listening to tms or watching. i won't even pretend I would you just <laughs> I'm putting this on record in a public forum. I'm not even going to pretend. I'll stand by you. I'll, I'll declare it to work as well. I'll be, everyone will be like, welcome back. How was the Super Bowl? I'll be like, don't talk to me. <laughs> so it should be noted that my first prediction for 2021 has proven false in the Chiefs being a three-peat winner. Does that yeah. mean that Tiger Roll will win the Grand National? Well, interestingly enough, uh, I saw they've come out speaking about Tiger Roll's chances of even going to Aintree for the Grand National. And they've basically said, only if they think it's been fairly assessed by the handicapper, that if it's carrying too much weight, they will just go to Cheltenham and skip Aintree altogether. So the, I, they are hoping in a way that the dismal recent performances from Tiger Roll will help it to drop in the weights a little bit. But fundamentally, they're saying, look, if it's top weight or anywhere close to top weight, there's just no point. So you might get the field. I mean, technically, it's a void bet, I will say, but you might. No, no, kinda... no. I just said that. <laughs> no, you, you said the field. I said, I said there will be a new champion in the Grand National. I mean, look, yeah, it's a one to a thousand bet, but and by that I mean one, like one, a thousand to one on, not as in happens <laughs> one in a thousand in, shot. Not, not in a one in a thousand shot. It is a very bland just this prediction. really old horse just yeah. winning every year. <laughs> yeah, sooner or later you're going to be right. Tiger Wall is not going to win every Grand National for the rest of our lives, but uh, <laughs> but but yeah, look. Um, I'd like to see it go. I think it would be a shame, especially I have to say, I'll be disappointed if they just don't send it just because of the weights. I feel like you almost have a duty when you have a horse that's a multiple winner of the race. Just send it. Even, I, I guess with jumps, the real issue is that if they sent it and they weren't, the weights is fine, but if they sent it and they weren't 100% about it and then say it has a bad fall, that's a real problem in jumps Rip. racing. Uh, no, Speaking you're right, but like horses dying in the Grand National is 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 weirdly a hot button issue. I don't know why people have a problem with it on that day. <laughs> no, look, it's Sam. I think people have a problem with it all the time. It's no, just that's a no race one cares that gets, about it. That's no. the race that gets attention. The downside is that's a race right that gets attention from people who don't normally watch horse racing. Yes. And so any death then gets blown out of proportion of like, as it treated as if 
horses are run over like pits of sort of jagged knives you know is this like like every open couple of landmines randomly yeah. on the entry yeah. course like and like and, and that's not to say that the animal welfare couldn't be paid closer attention to and that improvements can't be made when it comes to the safety for and they're doing that like they changed the setup for the jumps and they, they've done the thing like adding the different colors to the fences so the horses pick up the the, the sort of shapes and the sides of the fences a bit better so Obviously, improvements can be made, but yes, you would imagine when people talk about the Grand National, you would imagine that a horse dies every day based on the way they speak about it. Whereas in actual fact, a horse dying in a race is fairly uncommon in Britain. And that's with racing happening every day with multiple meetings and dozens and dozens of horses racing. Actually, speaking of that, Frank, one of my um, 2021s is under threat. So mine was the England are going to have a great year in sport. And obviously one of them was England winning the Six Nations, which is now threatened. Uh, England in Test Cricket, I know I, I brought it out for the T20, but England Test Cricket, you know, they've had a you good can't, start. You can't, just, you can't shift it, Sam. You can't do it. You <laughs> can't shift. And you yeah, definitely six, can't shift. A, a yeah. Did I say the, the big one? Did I say the men's Six Nations? I, I meant the women's, women's Six Nations. Which is not taking place. So <laughs> <laughs> can't do badly if it's not happening. Look, I mean, I might win the, the year predictions by February, and that's just by default by the two of you sort of <laughs> tripping. I can't even and remember your one. I what can't even really. No, I had. Was it to remember things? Like, yes. To battle a CTE. Exactly. Now. The final bit of sporting news from the weekend. Jordan Spieth is back after years missing cuts, not even being a sort of relevant figure in most golfing tournaments. He suddenly came back to life on Saturday and had his moment as I sent the video to the two of you and tweeted out the Jordan Spieth point came back after he sank a very very good putt i think it was on the 16th he pointed at the hole he pointed at the fans that were in attendance because obviously it was being played it was a waste management being played in arizona so because arizona doesn't believe in covid there were fans there um and uh True <laughs> yeah no sold out and i think it was it sold out in like 15 minutes or something crazy yep. but uh the highest rate we have the highest increase in covid numbers over like the past month out of any state in america but i mean you can't get it on a golf course so we're good no. <laughs> I, there was even one moment so before jordan spieth sank that blood he was doing it right by a sort of little body of water that was there and there was clearly one fan who wanted to jump into the lake and was having one concerned security guard trying to talk him out of it. The guy was obviously drunk, but you could tell like the camera panned to them and they were having this conversation where the guy was like gesturing as if he was going to go in. He was dressed in a stupid <laughs> outfit and the security guard was like trying to reason with him. In the end, it seems like he didn't jump in, but in the end. What I mean, a bad look his, that tournament is for Arizona on yeah. the whole. <laughs> Well, especially I mean, not when it's called the waste management. Waste management well. is is a is a glamorous name. But yeah, and look, in the end, as has been more to the the story of Jordan Speed's recent career, Brooks Kepka won. So there was there was that bit of it. But at least Speed he made big putts, which is something obviously that's what his career was made out of, and he managed to get himself in contention. So it was nice to see him back. The, the point was, 
the point was on point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was. It was awesome. And so and for anyone who does those flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what we're referring to, obviously the, 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 the Jordan Spieth point became very famous at the open when he, after it looked like he was going to throw the open away, he then sank a huge putt and then proceeded to angrily point at the hole and tell his caddy to get the ball, um, which came only about three weeks after we had gone well with Jake who appeared on the podcast uh, last week, we had gone to play indoor mini golf with Jake. Jake proceeded to put together one of the most pathetic mini golf performance, mini golf performances we've ever witnessed. I mean, I've never seen someone be out of contention to win a mini golf round after the second hole, maybe, but he, he was hitting like shot stroke limits on almost every hole. And then he managed to hit a hole in one on like the seventh hole and just gave Frank and I a point and a stare as if like, this is it. This is me. Like, why have you doubted me? It was one of the most aggressive, but also unjustified moments of confidence I've ever seen. It was amazing. It was nothing short of amazing. So we've always thought of the, the Jordan Spieth. Point the stare as, as he gave the, us. Yeah. <laughs> this, is this is who I am. This is who I am. Yes. As if somehow one hole in one had wiped out all of the missed putts, the the two inchers that have somehow somehow had managed to go six feet past the hole. Oh, suddenly no one could remember them because he'd sunk a hole in one. I found out last week, speaking of mini golf, do you know where the technically the first mini mini golf course ever was? Why I'm gonna guess it's in Arizona, but no, nope. based on Florida would be my real guess. Then, nope, St. Andrews. I was gonna say Scotland. Yeah, and it was used. It was built so that the women could play because women weren't allowed to play St. Andrews. So they built like a miniature-sized golf Too course. Right. <laughs> what? Too right. Just want to declare. The Big Chill Podcast is a podcast that does not believe in women playing golf. <laughs> so they built a miniature-sized golf course for the women to play on, but it wasn't what we think of mini golf. It was more like a chip and putt kind of course. Oh, like pitch and putt thing. Yeah. So it's but just like 70 yards a hole. So. And it's still there. You can still go and play it. Well, listeners can't tell us we don't teach them things pot the women are inferior <laughs> yeah that's the main that's the main takeaway please for everyone listening that and that uh patrick mahomes was slightly off color on in, during the super bowl i did like actually in the build-up not to take us all the way back but in the build-up to the super bowl i did i think it was in the guardian or the telegraph they kind of did this like super bowl preview and they did this like patrick mahomes combines the like intellect and intelligence that you've seen from many great quarterbacks with a type of athleticism that we've never seen before. And it was so reminiscent of the uh, Key and Peel sketch where they like any black player gets called athletic and any white player gets called like intelligent. And then when they get to Russell Wilson, he's like hybrid. And uh, the <laughs> given that Patrick Mahomes is a mixed race quarterback, the idea that they're like, wow, what an incredible mix of intelligence and ath raw athletic talent. It was just like, uh, you guys maybe should have watched this sketch before putting this article out. All right. Well, 
with the NFL season down. Congratulations. It's time to say Eddie. goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. I look forward to defending my regular season and postseason title next year. All right. Talk to you boys later. See ya. Cheerio.